You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we have on the line with the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Eric Friedman, who back in his palmy days with the Detroit News won a Pulitzer Prize uh, back in the 1990s and then uh, skedaddled to academia. And he's now the night chair in environmental journalism at Michigan State University. He's also director of the Capitol News Service. Eric Friedman, welcome to The Political Insider. Good to be with you, Bill. Okay, Eric, um, we can't compare anything to last year because we were right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic at that time. And now this year, supposedly, we're in mid-June and two months from now, approximately, around August 15th, I think Michigan State is going to throw its doors open, welcome students back. The academic year 2021-22 is going to begin. And I'm just wondering, how do you look at the situation at Michigan State University. What's it going to be like for you as a professor there and the other faculty and the student body? Just give us a picture of the whole ball game from uh, August 15th on in the context of what we've gone through in the last 16 months. Sure thing. First thing we're going to see from the middle of August, faculty will come back onto campus. I have colleagues who haven't been in their office in more than a year, and we have still a lot of concern, especially among some of the older and more medically vulnerable faculty, about whether the university will require vaccinations. Uh, The MSU president and the board of trustees have the authority, and they have not yet announced a decision on whether anybody Students overall, students in the residence hall, faculty and staff will need to be vaccinated. Uh, Students will then arrive. They're going to find new kinds of sanitation and cleaning and distance requirements in the residence halls. Classes will start. We're not going to see these huge lecture classes with four or five hundred students crammed into an auditorium uh, for an introductory course in, say, sociology or or psychology. So some of those courses are going to remain online or Zoom classes. We're going to see fewer international students than two years ago. One reason is that it's harder for them to get visas to come to the United States. That whole process slowed down and came down to a trickle during the pandemic. And so that's going to mean less revenue, not just for Michigan State, but for other universities and private colleges across the state. We're going to see lots of people wearing masks voluntarily, even outdoors, because they're concerned about health and because they don't know whether anybody else who they walk by or are sitting near in a dining hall has been vaccinated. Those are some of the main changes that we're going to see. I don't know yet whether the president is going to succumb to politics or whether he's going to use his medical skills as an epidemiologist to make that decision on vaccinations. Well, let's say he does come down on the side of requiring vaccinations. I mean, what if a student says, I don't want to take one? 
Does that mean that the student simply has to stay at home and do everything online uh, indefinitely during the academic year? What does it mean? That's a great question, and I don't know the answer. Uh, I know that there are some schools in the state that have already announced vaccination requirements, whether for residents, hall students, or all students, or students and faculty. Some of them are private, like Albion, Kalamazoo College, uh, Lawrence Tech, uh, but the University of Michigan and Oakland University are requiring residence hall students to be vaccinated. But uh, it's a great question. What if students not vaccinated? The professor knows the student's not vaccinated and it's a small class, a small seminar class or a small science lab class with a faculty member and the students interact close up. it's a great question. And some students and some faculty for medical or religious reasons won't get vaccinated anyway. Do they have to sit in a corner of the room? I don't know. Yeah, I'll, it depends to a great extent what President Stanley decides to do and how he words it, uh, how he parses this out. I mean, if you require vaccinations for students living in residence halls, what about students who don't live in residence halls? Let's say they commute or they've got private apartments or something uh, in East Lansing. Uh, might they be allowed uh, not to be vaccinated and come into close quarter seminars? A great question, Bill. I, uh, <laughs> I wish I knew the answer. I know a lot of faculty and staff are concerned, too. And yeah. then, how do you know whether somebody's telling you the truth? Well, yeah, exactly. Yes, I was vaccinated. Here's a card. <laughs> hey, you know, we used to have phony ID <laughs> cards to get in bars. Line, yeah, we, we used to have phony ID cards to get in bars. Yeah. Now we could have a new kind of phony card, right? And these don't even have holograms or security codes. These are pieces of paper with stickers on them from the clinic or the hospital or wherever you went to get your vaccination. Yeah, here's another question. The legislature, as you may know, has been considering bills. A Republican majority in the House and Senate uh, have been considering bills that would bar, ban uh, vaccine passports, as they're called. In other words, requirements by an employer or a municipality or unit of government uh, to have everybody under their aegis vaccinated. Uh, The Republicans think this is a matter of freedom of choice and nobody should be forced to do this. Well, all well and good. First of all, Democrats, by and large, in the legislature oppose these bills. I've got to believe Governor Whitmer, who would have to sign such a bill, would veto it. Uh, But that brings the question of the great autonomy enshrined in the Michigan Constitution for higher education. Uh, We've had that tested over the years, whether the state can make certain requirements of higher education, higher institutions, our public universities, we've got 15 of them in Michigan, uh, to act in a certain way, do certain things, maybe having nothing to do with COVID-19. This has come up again and again uh, in order to get state money. And this has been tested in court. And every time the language of the Michigan Constitution is cited by a judge saying, you know, uh, the legislature in the state of Michigan government cannot require higher education to do anything other than what the higher educational institution wants to do on its own. So, I mean, I'm wondering whether this legislation 
even if it passes and it was signed by Governor Whitmer, what kind of an impact would it have on, let's say, Michigan State University, of which you are a faculty member? Uh, if President Stanley says you got to be vaccinated, you got to show a vaccine passport, you got to show one of these ID cards showing you've been vaccinated. Uh, and if the state uh, tries to say you can't do that, uh, almost certainly it seems to me a judge is going to say uh, the university is right and you're wrong. State, what do you think? I think that it's a dilemma in two ways. Let's quickly separate. We have three institutions created in the Constitution of 1963 as autonomous. U of M, MSU, excuse me, and Wayne State. And the others, the others are all established by the legislature. So the trustees are appointed by the governor. They're not elected by the people. They're not nominated by political parties. But the legislature has, and I'll use the word middle, you might say intervened, you may say uh, strongly advised with money dangling in front of them. But over the years, the legislature has done exactly that. It's Told and they've been and they've been post- struck down by the courts every time, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, let's law that applies to the universities and as well. That's mandated by the uh, the legislature. Uh, it, it's uh, it's political, not just because of the issue, but because of the separation of powers. It's political because uh, there's a lot of allegiance among the public to their alma maters and where they're sending their kids. Yeah, the- we, we got we to gotta cut it off. I hate to say it. You're just really getting into it, but we've run out of time. Thank you so much, Eric Friedman, for giving us a great rundown on the situation in Michigan State. Stay tuned. Listening to the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we have on the line with the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Eric Friedman, who back in his palmy days with the Detroit News won a Pulitzer Prize uh, back in the 1990s, and then. Uh, skedaddled to academia, and he's now the night chair in environmental journalism at Michigan State University. He's also director of the Capital News Service. Eric Friedman, welcome to the Political Insider. Good to be with you, Bill. Okay, Eric, um, we can't compare anything to last year because we were right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic at that time. And now this year, supposedly, we're in mid-June, and two months from now, approximately, around August 15th, I think Michigan State is going to throw its doors open, welcome students back. The academic year 2021-22 is going to begin, and I'm just wondering, how do you look at the situation at Michigan State University? What's it going to be like for you as a professor there and the other faculty and the student body, just give us a picture of the whole ball game from uh, August 15th on in the context of what we've gone through in the last 16 months. Sure thing. 
First thing we're going to see from the middle of August, faculty will come back onto campus. I have colleagues who haven't been in their office in more than a year. And we have still a lot of concern, especially among some of the older and more medically vulnerable faculty about whether the university will require vaccinations. Uh, the MSU president and the board of trustees have the authority and they have not yet announced a decision on whether anybody, students overall, students in the residence hall, faculty and staff will need to be vaccinated. Uh, students will then arrive. They're going to find new kinds of sanitation and cleaning and distance requirements in the residence halls. Classes will start. We're not going to see these huge lecture classes with four or 500 students crammed into an auditorium uh, for an introductory course in, say, sociology or, or psychology. So some of those courses are going to remain online or Zoom classes. We're going to see fewer international students than two years ago. One reason is that it's harder for them to get visas to come to the United States. That whole process slowed down and came down to a trickle during the pandemic. And so that's going to mean less revenue, not just for Michigan State, but for other universities and private colleges across the state. We're going to see lots of people wearing masks voluntarily, even outdoors, because they're concerned about health and because they don't know whether anybody else who they walk by or are sitting near in a dining hall has been vaccinated. So those are some of the main changes that we're going to see. Uh, I don't know yet whether the president is going to succumb to politics or whether he's going to use his medical skills as an epidemiologist to make that decision on vaccinations. Well, let's say he does come down on the side of requiring vaccinations. I mean, what if a student says, I don't want to take one? Does that mean that the student simply has to stay at home and do everything online uh, indefinitely during the academic year? What does it mean? That's a great question, and I don't know the answer. Uh, I know that there are some schools in the state that have already announced vaccination requirements, whether for residents, hall students, or all students or students and faculty. Some of them are private, like Albion, Kalamazoo College, uh, Lawrence Tech, uh, but the University of Michigan and Oakland University are requiring residence hall students to be vaccinated. But uh, it's a great question. What if students not vaccinated? The professor knows the student's not vaccinated, and it's a small class, a small seminar class or a small science lab class with a faculty member, and the students interact close up. Uh, it's a great question. And some students and some faculty, for medical or religious reasons, won't get vaccinated anyway. Do they have to sit in a corner? of the room? I don't know. Yeah, I'll, it depends to a great extent what President Stanley decides to do and how he words it, uh, how he parses this out. I mean, if you require vaccinations for students living in residence halls, what about students who don't live in residence halls? Let's say they commute or they've got private apartments or something. 
uh, in East Lansing. Uh, might they be allowed uh, not to be vaccinated and come into close quarter seminars? It's a great question, Bill. I, uh, <laughs> I wish I knew the answer. I know, I know a lot of faculty and staff are concerned, too. Yeah. And then how do you know whether somebody's telling you the truth? Well, yeah, exactly. Yes, I was vaccinated. Here's a card. <laughs> hey, you know, we used to have phony ID cards, cards to get in bars. Yeah, we used to have phony ID cards to get in bars. Now we could have a new kind of phony card, right? And these don't even have holograms or security codes. These are pieces of paper with stickers on them from the clinic or the hospital or wherever you went to get your vaccination. Yeah, here's another question. The legislature, as you may know, has been considering bills. A Republican majority in the House and Senate uh, have been considering bills that would bar, ban uh, vaccine passports, as they're called. In other words, requirements by an employer or a municipality or unit of government uh, to have everybody under their ages vaccinated. Uh, the Republicans think this is a matter of freedom of choice and nobody should be forced to do this. Well, all well and good. Uh, first of all, Democrats, by and large, in the legislature oppose these bills. I've got to believe Governor Whitmer, who would have to sign such a bill, would veto it. Uh, but that brings the question of the great autonomy enshrined in the Michigan Constitution for higher education. Uh, we've had that tested over the years, whether the state can make certain requirements of higher education, higher institutions, our public universities, we've got 15 of them in Michigan, uh, to act in a certain way, do certain things, maybe having nothing to do with COVID-19. This has come up again and again uh, in order to get state money. And this has yep. been tested in court. And every time the language of the Michigan Constitution is cited by a judge saying, you know, uh, the legislature in the state of Michigan government cannot require higher education to do anything other than what the higher educational institution wants to do on its own. So, I mean, I'm wondering whether this legislation even if it passes and it was signed by Governor Whitmer, what kind of an impact would it have on, let's say, Michigan State University, of which you are a faculty member? Uh, if President Stanley says you got to be vaccinated, you got to show a vaccine passport, you got to show one of these ID cards showing you've been vaccinated. Uh, and if the state uh, tries to say you can't do that, uh, almost certainly it seems to me a judge is going to say, uh, the university is right and you're wrong, State. What do you think? I think that it's a dilemma in two ways. Let's quickly separate. We have three institutions created in the Constitution of 1963 as autonomous. U of M, MSU, and Wayne State. And the others, the others are all established by the legislature. So the board of trustees are appointed by the governor. They're not elected by the people. They're not nominated by political parties. But the legislature has, and I'll use the word meddled, you might say intervened, you may say uh, 
strongly advised with money dangling in front of them. But over the years, the legislature has done exactly that. It's told. And they've been and they've been struck down by the courts every time, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's. That applies to the universities and as well. That's mandated by the uh, the legislature. I, it, it's uh, it's political, not just because of the issue, but because of the separation of powers. It's political because uh, there's a lot of allegiance among the public. Their alma maters and where they're sending their kids. Yeah, the- we got to we got to cut it off. I hate to say it, you're just really getting into it, but we've run out of time. Thank you so much, Eric Friedman, for giving us a great rundown on the situation in Michigan State. Stay tuned. listening to the political insider with bill ballinger on mtn here's bill we have returned and we are very fortunate to have on the line with us dave boucher it's spelled b-o-u-c-h-e-r but it's not boucher it's pronounced the french way boucher and he is a government and politics reporter for the detroit free press in their lansing bureau dave I believe is a native of Michigan originally, but he went to Northwestern University. And then he has had a fascinating career in a number of states. He has been with the Tennessean in Nashville, Tennessee, covering uh, state politics in the volunteer state. He has been, I believe, the bureau chief for the Charleston, West Virginia Daily Mail. He's worked for the Dallas Morning News, but a year ago, He returned to Michigan to take this job with the free press. And when he arrived, everybody here in Michigan in state government thought we're in deep doo-doo here on our budget. We are broke. We're in a deep hole uh, because of the pandemic. We have lost enormous amount of revenue. We're in trouble. And here, a year later, I mean, Dave Boucher has accomplished great things in just a year. Look, I mean, we are flush with cash. I mean, we've got billions of dollars that we didn't think we'd have a year ago. And the question now is, what do we do with it? And when do we do it? So, Dave Boucher, welcome to the Political Insider. And give me an answer to that question. Thanks so much for having me and for giving me the credit for all of that money coming into the state. I'll gladly take it. Uh, yeah, as you know, this is a this is a if you're going to have a problem with money, this is a great problem to have, right? You're in a situation where you are flush with a, a considerably more money than the state had projected. The estimates were obviously based off of the pandemic and the corresponding economic crisis, and now with an unprecedented influx of federal stimulus money, the discussion as you noted is not whether or not there'll be enough money, but how exactly to spend that money and whether you know, you put that at priorities that are that have been kind of languishing for a while, or you try to create programs, but you want to avoid, you know, one-time spending for a program that's going to need funding forever. So those are kind of the discussions that are happening right now in Lansing. Well, I mean, uh, when you look at this budget, are there stipulations the federal government and Congress have made about how the money can be spent or how it cannot be spent? 
You know, there are, but it depends who you talk to about whether or not that's a problem, right? So we've heard several proposals from several different lawmakers. For example, we there one that came out of the uh, Senate that was about $1.5 billion in COVID relief to fix 400 bridges, so like an infrastructure bill. But there's a question about whether or not you can actually use the money for that. Uh, one of the sponsors, Senator Schmidt, he's a Republican out of the Trevor City area, told the Associated Press that he doesn't think that that's a big deal, and he actually thinks that it will fit in the parameters of how you can use that money. But we'll see. That could be one of those things where you know the, the governor and the administration decide you can't use the money that way, but legislature says you can, and then we're kind of uh, in, in flux. But uh, people are still trying to figure out exactly how they can use the money and, and where it's going to go. They're also looking at a July 1st deadline, by which time they're supposed to send by law their budget to the governor, however long she takes to either sign it or veto line items or whatever. This all uh, began two years ago when you were not here yet in Michigan, uh, when the governor and legislature had real problems putting a budget together in 2019. So they enacted a law saying we've got to get the budget to the governor by July 1st. We can't wait any longer than that. But then the pandemic hit, so they put that July 1st deadline off. And now it looks like they're talking about maybe having to do it again because they can't get a budget agreed upon by July 1st. What do you think? We'll see. Unfortunately, the answer to that is we'll see. We've we've seen – uh, that the legislature added an additional week to their June schedule. We've been told that it's kind of like a precaution in case they need the time to, to find a, a compromise. Um, we've I've reached out to Dave Masseron, who's the, the head of the budget office for the governor, just to see, like, are we close? How are things going? And essentially gotten, like, a no update from us, which could mean anything. You know, it could mean that they're on the precipice of a deal. It could mean that they're a long way away from a deal. We We just don't know. And we had heard rumblings for weeks that the legislature, really the Republicans in the legislature and the governor's office, were on the verge of some sort of compromise that dealt not only with the budget but with how to use that federal stimulus money and potentially giving legislature the legislature more of a say in future pandemic orders. We haven't seen that actually happen in real time yet. Excuse me, real time yet. We've seen an announcement that said that there was a framework for that to happen, but as you know. July 1st is very, very soon. So uh, if we're going to see any action, next week seems to be the time where we're going to see some movement. Dave Boucher, didn't the House of Representatives originally come up with an idea of passing only quarterly budgets, like every three months? Uh, a new budget would have to be enacted for a lot of state government. I, that seems to have kind of died out as an idea, hasn't it? Yeah, and that was for some departments. It wasn't for every department. I, I think if you were to compare the strategies of the House and the Senate, the House has been has put more of a priority on this concept of accountability and wanting the Whitmer administration to come back to the legislature regularly to prove that they need the money that they say they need. Um, uh, not that the Senate hasn't done that, but it didn't. You know, as you said, spearhead this quarterly budgeting approach, which was um, uh, criticized uh, pretty pretty quickly as soon as that came out. Uh, but but House Appropriations Chairman Albert has been very um, uh, critical of the governor and her administration. He was at one point he's the one who said if the governor's administration doesn't give on how they 
create these pandemic orders, then we're not going to budge and negotiate on the budget, period. So that's kind of like, and you know, to say that publicly and come out and negotiate through us, like that's obviously a, a, a something of a of a red line, uh, which we haven't seen from Jim Stamas, the the Senate Appropriations Committee chairman. But again, there could be a ton of negotiations going on behind the scenes that we just haven't seen and we haven't heard about. But we're getting close to that July deadline. Let me switch to another topic. I mean, there's so many we could ask you about, but this concept of a vaccine passport that the Republican majority in the House and Senate are pushing to ban the use of uh, requirement by units of government, by private business, by anybody to uh, have all their employees prove with a card or ID or whatever that they've been vaccinated. What about that? Do you think you could see that passing and governor Whitmer, I cannot believe she would sign it, but look, here's my big question. And we talked to our previous guest about this. I mean, how does that apply to higher education uh, where we, there's autonomy for our universities. And if, if Michigan state university requires vaccines to be administered to students to be allowed in classrooms, how can the legislature stop that? That's that's a great question. And honestly, it's a question that the House Fiscal Agency, which is an entity that, you know, has a, obviously a ton of experience in analyzing bills, asked themselves in an analysis of the legislation that passed in the House, which would uh, ban government sponsored vaccine passports or vaccine mandates. It asked that exact question. The, the bill is written in theory applies to the University of Michigan, Oakland University, any any universities in Michigan that are getting this public money. But that's not generally how these bills work. Like generally these bills wouldn't apply to, uh, you know, higher education. It's kind of a separate uh, pool of, of, of funding, and it's just not generally how these, these bills work. So it's unclear whether or not it would actually apply. But to your point, it's also unlikely that the governor would sign this bill. She, she and the Department of Health and Human Services have both said that they're not currently exploring any sort of vaccine mandate or any sort of vaccine requirement. But that uncertainty about what this bill would actually mean could be one of the reasons why the governor could veto this. It's also just not uh, clear yet that this would even make it to the Senate the way that it's currently crafted. What about the controversy with the Secretary of State about uh, motor vehicle branch offices, uh, driver license problems, walk-in Versus, you know, online making an appointment. Where do you see that going right now? Yeah, so there's no question that it is currently a challenge to get an appointment to go in person to the Secretary of State's office. The divide is what caused that problem and how to fix it. Uh, Republicans in the legislature are saying this is entirely uh, Secretary Benson's fault. That's It's her fault that she closed down her offices and she didn't allow enough people to come back in. And now she's created this massive backlog. The Secretary of State has noted that her office has been historically defunded for years and that that's a huge problem for them and that they're trying to find solutions with the money they have and the employees they have to get more people in and to shift more services online so that people don't have to come in and sit in an office for hours at a time. Yeah. Listen, we could go on and on. There are so many issues. But Dave Boucher, you have done a great job of describing what's happening with three of the big ones. Thank you so much. Dave Boucher, reporter on politics and government for the Detroit Free Press. Thank you. We will be back in a minute. Stay tuned.